the Holy Spirit as gift and Trinitarian communion. The theology of the Holy Spirit as gift in Latin medieval the theology draws heavily on St. Augustine's De Trinitate. In this work, the Holy Spirit as gift appears in two central places. The first place is in Book 5 of Augustine's De Trinitate. Here, Augustine shows that gift, donum, as a proper name of the Holy Spirit, is a relative name. The context uh, is precisely that of relative names, and gift, as a proper name of the Holy Spirit, is such a relative name. A relative name which <coughs> correlates with the giver, that is, father and son. Augustine shows that gift is a personal property because it signifies a relation. And since the gift is from the Father and the Son, Augustine explains that the Holy Spirit is the communion, communio, of the Father and the Son. Both names, gift and communion, are intrinsically linked. Further, Augustine explains that although the Holy Spirit is given only in time, donatum, that is, in the economy, the Holy Spirit is givable, <coughs> donabile, from all eternity. And in this sense, the Holy Spirit is properly the gift from all eternity. Then, in Book 15, Augustine shows that the name charity, or love, caritas, is proper to the Holy Spirit. And charity is identified with the personal property of the Holy Spirit. Augustine makes explicitly clear that the Holy Spirit is the gift because he is the charity, or love, of the Father and Son, a love who reveals the communion of the Father and Son. So, love accounts for both communion and gift. The central element I want to underline is that for the mature Augustine, the property of the Holy Spirit as gift is grounded in his relative property as love or charity. Two. In his sentences, written around 1155, Peter Lambert offers a synthesis of Augustine's thought. First, Peter Lambert takes up Augustine's distinction between the Holy Spirit as gift from all eternity, as givable, donabile, and as given only in time. Second, the procession of the Holy Spirit as gift accounts for the personal distinction between the Holy Spirit and the Son. This is quite important. Whereas the Son is begotten, the Holy Spirit proceeds as gift and is thus distinct from the Son and, of course, from the Father. Third, Peter Lombard explains that gift is a relational property. The name gift signifies, signifies precisely 
a relation of origin to the giver, that is, to the father and son as giver, which otherwise, gift signifies the relation that characterizes the Holy Spirit. And fourth, Peter Lombard rejects the view according to which the Holy Spirit would be the gift that the Father gives to the Son and the Son to the Father. The gift, I mean, the Holy Spirit as gift, is not given from one per divine person to another divine person, but the gift is given only to creatures, that is, in Peter Lombard, to human beings. Point three. An original contribution is found in the De Trinitate by Richard of St. Victor in the late 1160s. When Richard explains the reason why the Holy Spirit is gift in person, he makes a distinction between three modes of love. First, gratuitous love, amo gratuitus. Sorry for my, for my French pronunciation of Latin. <laughs> First, gratuitous love, amor gratuitus, pertaining to the Father. Second, owed or indebted love, amor debitus, pertaining to uh, the Holy Spirit. And third, indebted and gratuitous love, pertaining to the Son. Simul debitus et gratuitus. This means that the plurality and distinction of the divine persons are explained in terms of giving and receiving. The Father is the one who only gives the divine essence, the Son receives and gives the divine essence, and the Holy Spirit only receives the divine essence. The plenitude of gratuitous love is found in the Father, and the plenitude of owed or indebted love is found in the Holy Spirit. In text, yeah, the reference is given in text 3.1. Now, when Richard deals with the Holy Spirit as gift, he only considers the Spirit's mission, that is, the Spirit's donation to human being, beings. And since the Holy Spirit is the gift in the mode of indebted love, Therefore, when the Holy Spirit is given to man, he makes those to whom he is given like himself. That is, the Holy Spirit fills them with owed or indebted <coughs> love towards God. As a matter of fact, the Holy Spirit as gift plays no significant role in Richard's, Richard's theology of the inner life of the Trinity. Instead, Richard develops his Trinitarian theology in terms of the father begetting a son who shares in the same divine dignity, the son as condignus, and of the father and son spirating the Holy Spirit who is equally loved, the Holy Spirit as condilectus. This makes Richard somewhat of an exception in medieval Trinitarian theology. On the one hand, Richard does not give much weight to the generation of the Son by way of intellect or to the procession of the Holy Spirit by way of will or love. 
Hence, the property of the spirit as gift plays no significant role in his account of the inner life of the Trinity. On the other hand, in Richard, the concept of gift applies to the entire Trinity to the extent that the inner life of the Trinity is explained in terms of giving and receiving around the central theme of love. Clearly, far from being uniform, the medieval reception of St. Augustine is quite diversified. Point four. A work of the first importance for the great synthesis of the 13th century is the Summa Aurea by William of Auxerre, written between 1220 and 1225. William of Auxerre builds his theology of the Trinity on the distinction between two emanations in God, one that takes place by way of generation and the other by way of goodness or liberality. The latter is the procession of the Holy Spirit. For William, the Holy Spirit is, is the first gift, gift in person, precisely because he proceeds by mode of liberality. Text 4.1. Now, according to William of Auxerre, the reason for giving is love. And when we love, the first thing we give is love itself. This is why, for William, text 4.2, the Holy Spirit is gift in person because he is love in person. With this Augustinian clarification, the Holy Spirit is gift from all eternity <coughs> insofar as he is giveable from all eternity. William of Auxerre is one of the first medieval authors who clearly states that it is because the Holy Spirit is love that he is gift. The property of the Holy Spirit as love accounts for his property as gift. Most later theologians, including Aquinas, will adopt William's view. <coughs> Point five. Another significant author or another significant work of the same period is the De Trinitate by William of Auvergne, written around 1223. William of Auvergne posits two communications of the divine essence within God, text 5.1. One by the generation of a son, and the other by the procession of a first gift this is quite remarkable. From the very start in William of Auvergne, the Holy Spirit is characterized as being gift. And the reason why the Holy Spirit is gift lies in the fact that the Holy Spirit proceeds by mode of goodness or benignity, benignity, yes, that is, according to a gratuitous love. Amor gratuitus, something coming from uh, Richard. The central point I would like to underline is that for William of Auvergne, the Holy Spirit is gift in person, not only because all other gifts come from him, 
but because love itself is the first gift. To love means <coughs> to give one's love to another. So that, text 5.2, quote, love proceeds in order to be the first gift of the lover to the beloved. First gift of the lover to the beloved, which the beloved obtains from the lover through himself, end quote. And in this line of thought, William of Auvergne teaches, text 5.3, quote, the son is not gift because he is born or begotten, <coughs> yet love, by the mere fact that it proceeds, love is the gift that is given to the beloved, and the first gift, end quote. As a recent doctoral thesis in Freiburg has established, William of Auvergne's view means that the Holy Spirit is the gift that the Father gives to the Son and that the Son gives to the Father. Point six. As we just saw, William of Auvergne suggests that the Father and Son mutually give their common love to one another. The common love who is the gift. This raises the question as to whether the Holy Spirit is the mutual gift of the Father and the Son. It has become common today to speak of the Holy Spirit as the gift that the Father gives to the Son and the Son to the Father. In Latin medieval theology, however, this view is quite infrequently held. I already said that Peter Lambert explicitly rejected such a view. And for the mainstream of Latin scholasticism, Alexander of Hales, Jean de la Rochelle, Bonaventure, Aquinas, and so on, the receiver of the gift, I mean the one to whom the Holy Spirit is given, is not a divine person, but the gift is given to creatures human beings and angels. There are, however, a few exceptions, and Albert the Great is one of them, surprisingly. In his commentary on the first book of the Sentences, to be dated between 1243 and 1246, when St. Albert discusses the distinction between the generation of the Son and the procession of the Holy Spirit, he explains, text 6.1, distinction 13, quote, The Holy Spirit is the gift that the Father and the Son mutually offer to one another by a gratuitous love. And further, the Holy Spirit is also givable to us, even if he were never given, end quote. Now, strangely enough, when Albert discusses the property of the Holy Spirit as gift, in distinction 18, that is just five distinctions later, he explicitly excludes this view. There, St. Albert writes that the Father and the Son do not give the Holy Spirit to one another, but only to creatures. It's hard to understand such a shift in the same work by the same author. As in many other cases, 
The interpretation of Albert's thought on this point is a complex issue. But even if we think that Albert denied his first affirmation, this first affirmation remains. For the early Albert, the Holy Spirit is the mutual gift of the Father and the Son in the sense that from all eternity, the Father and the Son mutually give the Holy Spirit as gift to one another. And this shows, once again, that the medieval reception of St. Augustine is quite diverse. Point seven. St. Bonaventure is among the few authors <coughs> who do not follow the path opened by William of Auxerre. In his commentary on the first book of Peter Lombard's Sentences in the early 1250s, Bonaventure posits the personal identity of the Holy Spirit as gift, not on the basis of love, not on the basis of love, but on the basis of the Spirit's mode of procession by way of liberality. Text 7.1, quote, we must posit in God a third person who proceeds by mode of liberality and who is called gift. And the reason for that is the perfection of dilection, the perfection of emanation, and the perfection of will, which, since it exists in the most liberal mode, cannot not produce a person." End quote. Here, liberality means the will as <coughs> free and inclined to communicate its goodness. To be more precise, for Bonaventure, text 7.2, the Holy Spirit proceeds as gift insofar as he is the Trinitarian reason of willing, ratio volendi, or the reason of giving, ratio donandi. That is to say, as the eternal reason for all gifts of God at extra. It is only after, it is only after having established the procession of the Holy Spirit as gift by way of liberality that Bonaventure develops the understanding of the Spirit's procession by way of love and mutual love. Then, when Bonaventure deals with the property of the Holy Spirit as gift, he takes up the same teaching. See text, uh, text 7.3. Being the gift is proper to the Holy Spirit insofar as he proceeds by way of liberality. On this basis, Bonaventure explains that the gift has two relationships. One to the giver, the father and son, and another relationship to the receiver, the creature. This second relationship to the creature, to the creature, that is to the beneficiary of the gift, can be considered in three ways. Text 7.4, sorry, 7.4. The gift can be considered first as eventually or actually given, secundum actum, the Holy Spirit is given, datus. <coughs> Secondly, according to habitus, the Holy Spirit will be given, donandus, at some time. And thirdly, insofar as the Holy Spirit is apt to be given, donabile, givable. 
The first way is bound to temporality. But according to the other two ways, <coughs> the Holy Spirit is the gift from all eternity. In summary, for Bonaventure, the Holy Spirit is gift because he proceeds by way of liberality. The Holy Spirit is probably the gift in person by virtue of his relation to the giver, the Father and Son, and also by reason of his relation to the receiver, insofar as the Holy Spirit is givable. Bonaventure's theology of the Holy Spirit as gift thus rests on the notion of procession by mode of liberality, the Holy Spirit being the reason of giving and being givable. Aquinas. Aquinas's Summa Theology shows a different approach. Here, St. Thomas begins his section on the Holy Spirit by explaining the names Holy Spirit and then love. It is only after having established that the Holy Spirit is personally love within the Trinity, just as the Son is the Word, that Aquinas considers the Holy Spirit as gift. And he does so in two steps. In the first step, Aquinas shows that <coughs> donum, gift, is a personal name. You may look at text 8.1. The demonstration rests on the two relationships of the gift. First, the relation to the giver, and second, the relation to the receiver. The relation to the giver, that is, the relation to the Father and Son, accounts for the personal distinction of the gift, insofar as the gift is really distinct from the Father and Son by its origin. It's a relation of origin. Here, Thomas is able to integrate his teaching on divine relations and on the divine person as a subsisting relation. Concerning the second relationship, namely the relationship to the receiver, Aquinas distinguishes between, on the one hand, the disposition or attitude for being given, aptitudo ad hoc donetu, this is Bonaventurian, which belongs to the Holy Spirit from all eternity, and which allows one to grasp that a divine person could be the grief, could be the gift from all eternity. And this from all eternity uh, matters. It is necessarily required since a divine person is not constituted such by its relation to creatures, but only by an eternal property. And, on the other hand, the actual donation of the Holy Spirit, which take, takes place in time. With respect to the authors I have considered so far, Aquinas's originality, well, to my knowledge, it's the main uh, originality of Aquinas in um, Article 1 of Question 38 of the first part of the Summa. Aquinas's originality lies in his care to establish that the Holy Spirit can be really received and possessed by a creature. This aspect is quite striking in Aquinas. It is a condition 
for the Holy Spirit to be gift. Since if a creature couldn't receive the Holy Spirit in person, the Spirit could not be the gift. And this creature is the rational creature alone, angels and human beings, who can possess and enjoy a divine person, not by a created power, but only if this is given from above. Put otherwise, this implies that rational creatures are capable of receiving not only created <coughs> grace, but the uncreated gift in person. And this is central to Aquinas. Then, in a second step, Aquinas shows that the name gift, Danum, is proper to the Holy Spirit. Gift is a proper name of the Holy Spirit, and not to the Father or to the Son. The demonstration grounded in the doctrine of love is very clear. You may look at text 8.2. Aquinas starts from our human experience of gratuitous giving, an analogy. It's typically Thomistic. He then shows the very nature of love as the reason for giving and as the first gift, a traditional theme. And he finally accounts for the property of the Spirit as gift by means of his procession as love. The Holy Spirit is the gift because he is love. Of course, the Son also is given <coughs> from the Father's love. But the Holy Spirit is given because this belongs to what characterizes him in a proper and distinct way within the Trinity. The centrality of love as the personal property of the Holy Spirit is quite striking in Aquinas' account. My last point has to do with Trinitarian communion. Aquinas frequently, frequently designates the Holy Spirit as the mutual love, amor mutuus, of the Father and the Son. <coughs> and the Holy Spirit proceeds from the communion of love, communio amoris, of the Father and Son. As a matter of fact, Aquinas does not use the expressions Trinitarian communion or communion of the Trinity, but he has recourse to a rich vocabulary to express the same reality with Latin words like communicatio, communitas, connectio, consortium, convenientia, societas, unio, unitas, and so on. In Aquinas, as I attempted to show in an essay on this topic, the reference of which is given on the handout, the notion of Trinitarian communion consists of two aspects. First, the communion of all three divine persons in the same divine nature, which is numerically one in all three persons. Put otherwise, the first aspect of Trinitarian communion, according to Aquinas, lies in the 
consubstantiality of the Trinity. And second, the communion of the Father and Son through their bond of love, who is the Holy Spirit. The best explanations are found in Aquinas' commentary on John 17, 1711 and 1721. I mean, commentary written in the last years of Aquinas' life. So, I suggest that we read text 9.1. Perhaps an American voice could read text 9.1. That they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may also be in us. There is a twofold unity of the Father and the Son, a unity of essence and of love. In both of these ways, the Father is in the Son, and the Son is in the Father. The even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, can be understood of the unity of love, according to Augustine. And then the meaning is, even as you, Father, are in me through love, because love, charity, makes one be with God. It is like saying, as the Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father, so the disciples love the Father and the Son. Thank you. Here, just a remark. In his commentary on, on John 17 earlier, Aquinas has explained that this unity of love, unitas amoris, is the unity of the Holy Spirit. So here, uh, love refers to the Holy Spirit, clearly enough, in Aquinas' country. Let us go on. Then the words, even as, do not imply equality, but a remote likeness. Or, according to Hilary, this statement can refer to a unity of nature, not indeed that the same numerical nature is in us and in the Father and, and the Son, but in the sense that our unity resembles that of the divine nature by which the Father and the Son are one. Thank you. We participate in the unity of the Father and Son by the gift of love or charity, which implies the gift of the Holy Spirit himself, as Aquinas explained earlier in this commentary. And we participate in the unity of the Father and Son by participating in their essential unity, and this by the gift of habitual sanctifying grace, which makes us participants of the divine nature, according to 2 Peter 1.4. So, our participation in the communion of the Father and Son, or in the unity of the Father and Son, takes place through an ontological regeneration, grace, and through an operative regeneration, charity, that is, the gift of the Holy Spirit. This understanding of Trinitarian communion is common in Aquinas, as text 9.2 shows from the commentary on the sentences. The Father and Son are one, insofar as they convene in the same essence, and insofar as they are united by the Holy Spirit, by the consonance of love, which is the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit proceeds as love, he holds to be the personal union of the Father and Son from the very mode 
of his procession. In other places, Aquinas insists that we cannot conceive of the communion of the Father and Son without the procession of the Holy Spirit. And conversely, we cannot conceive of the procession of the Holy Spirit without the communion between Father and Son. In Aquinas, communion and procession of the Holy Spirit are intrinsically bound, bound up with each, uh, each other. Now, a last question should be raised. Well, at least it's a question I raised. In a way, it should be raised, but anyway. When Aquinas considers the unity of love, which is the unity of the spirit, and this is quite important, because it counts for the unity of the church and for the being of the church. When Aquinas considers the unity of love, which is the unity of the spirit, does he intend the communion of the entire trinity, three persons, or the communion of the Father and Son only, two persons? Because most explanations are found in uh, the commentary on John or are related to uh, the Gospel of John, dealing with uh, the unity and relation between the Father and the Son. In fact, both perspectives amount to the same thing. Aquinas speaks of the Holy Spirit as the union or unity of the Father and Son. And he also speaks of the Holy Spirit as the unity of love of the Trinity itself. Three persons. Text 9.3 is the best text I was able to find and uh, asked the Leonine Commission, Father Oliva in Paris, to, to check uh, this text, and he confirms to me that uh, it's correct. Text 9.3, quote, the, ch the Church posits three persons united by a certain society of love, which is the Holy Spirit, end quote. The society or communion of love, which is the Holy Spirit, concerned the whole Trinity. Three persons, note, three persons united by a love who is the Holy Spirit. In this society or communion, the Father and Son are united insofar as they separate the Holy Spirit. As for the Holy Spirit himself, he is united to the Father and Son, and reciprocally, insofar as the Holy Spirit is love in person. Here, Aquinas does not mention the gift, but it is quite easy to link this view to the Holy Spirit as gift. Insofar as the Holy Spirit is love, he is the gift in which the communion of the Trinity is manifested, and when we share in the Holy Spirit, <coughs> who is given to us, Romans 5, 5. When we share in the Holy Spirit, <coughs> who is given to us, we receive a participation in the communion of the whole Trinity. Thank you for your patience and attention. Mm.
St. Augustine, I, I believe he um, is inspired by St. Augustine in this. And I know St. Augustine, uh, at, in some places, talks about, similarly for human beings, the, this um, unity of nature and then a unity of love. And, and he says the perfection of the unity of nature is in this unity of love, mm-hmm. uh, both of man with God and among one another. So my question is, in the Trinity, how do we understand the relationship between these two unities? Um, clearly, it can't be one here of, of a perfection. You know, the, the union of, of love of Father and Son is the perfection of um, the unity of, of the divine nature. Um, but it seems to me that, there, that it's not enough simply to say there are these two unities. Um, they, they must somehow be related to perhaps even, you know, in, inform one another. So how, how, do you, how do you think we should best think about that? I'm not quite sure uh, I grasped your question perfectly. So I'm getting to, I'm, I'm trying to give an answer and you'll tell me whether uh, I missed the point or not. Um, yeah. Aquinas picks up Augustine's uh, explanations but he also picks up um, the explanations by Hilary of Poitiers. Why? Because in Hilary, and, and the text is it's, uh, much longer in the Catena Aurea, because in Hilary there is a stronger accent put on, uh, uh, on sanctifying habitual grace as uh, elevating restoring our nature and as making us participant in the very nature of God. And for Aquinas, uh, habitual sanctifying grace in itself doesn't have a connection or relationship to the distinction of the persons. It refers um, the, the receivers of habitual grace to the divine nature as such, and not to uh, the distinction of persons. So this is Aquinas very clear in him, explicitly, uh, several times. Uh, and so, in a summary, when we speak of the Trinity, when we speak of the Trinity, we had to reduplicate, in a sense, our language and words, because, I mean, the Trinity is one in essence, but three in persons. So we speak of God the, God the Father, God the Son, and so on. To, to uh, integrate both aspects. And so uh, Aquinas explains by picking up uh, the, the teaching of Augustine and or, uh, Hillary, uh, by picking up the teaching of Hillary and Augustine that first, we share in the unity of the Trinity or in the communion in the Trinity by habitual grace, which makes us participants in uh, the divine nature that is in the unity of the divine nature. And we share uh, in the communion of the Trinity by the Holy Spirit, who, being uh, the mutual love and the communion of the entire Trinity, makes us participate in the relationships uh, of the Trinity, being uh, (coughs) sons of God, relation to the Father, and uh, participating in the Son's affiliation, relation to the Son, uh, and this by the gift of the Holy Spirit. So that 
the full organism of grace, I mean, not only habitual sanctifying grace, but also the gifts of grace, I mean, wisdom and charity, uh, make us participate in the life of the Trinity. Of course, it's, it's, uh, it's likeness. It's not, uh, uh, you do not, it's a participation. I mean, the best place to understand that is question 93 of the Prima Pars on the, the image of God, where Aquinas explains that we are into the image of the Trinity um, in so, uh, through our acts and acts that have God as their objects. And here Aquinas explains that, uh, I mean, the, the highest realization of the image of God is in us is found when, uh, from our knowledge of God, we produce a word, that is, we participate in some sense in the eternal diction of the Son and the Father. And when, from this uh, participation, we, uh, I mean, we uh, are set forth in, in love, that is, we participate in the separation of the Holy Spirit. We have to be careful with that. It's a participation or an imitation. Jonas rather speaks there of an imitation. It's an imitation or participation <coughs> in the internal personal act of the Trinity. I think question 93, articles uh, 789 or 678 uh, is the best place to understand this teaching. Now, was this an answer or part of an answer to the question? Perhaps part, and perhaps my preface was misleading. I, I, I meant, I, I. Um, a bit louder, please. Sure, sure. The no, no, I, I fully um, understand and agree with the, this idea. So I meant in the imminent life of the Trinity, um, just the, the union of the Holy of the Holy Spirit and the unity of the divine nature. He's worried about two unities. What's the relationship between those two? Because I, I, I think some yeah. contemporary theologians will say, oh, not the divine nature, but just yes. union. That's wrong. Yes, but it's, uh, well, it's, this was implied in the first aspect of my uh, attempted response. Um, I mean, the relationship between these two aspects is the same relationship that is found between uh, the unity of the divine essence and the plurality of the divine persons. And so, depending on how you account for this relationship, between one God being three persons, depending on how you account for this relationship, you'll have a different account in the way we participate in, in the two elements. For Aquinas, clearly enough, um, the integration, I mean, these two elements are not juxtaposed, but they are integrated in the doctrine of the divine person as a subsisting relation, because, as you know, the subsisting relation integrates both the divine essence and the, the mutual, uh, I mean, the, the personal relation. So, for Aquinas, it is by participating in the very person of the Son, including essence and uh, relation to the Father and to the Holy Spirit, and by participating in the very person of the Holy Spirit, including essence and relation to 
the Father and Son, that uh, we participate in, in these two aspects. I mean, the key, the speculative key in Aquinas would be uh, the doctrine of the divine person as a specific relation. And this, as you know, is, is proper to Aquinas. No other author uh, of his time had such uh, a view. Thank you. Father Lombardo has a question here in the back. <clears throat> Thank you. I was very interested to hear you talk about the, uh, the medieval theologians I, I fear questions. <laughs> about the, uh, the medieval theologians who talked about the spirit as a gift between father and son. Mm -hmm. Do they say anything about receiving the gift or just giving? And if so, what, what do they say? Who giving and who receiving? Uh, I thought you were saying that William O'Bairn and others talk about the father and son giving the spirit to each other. Yes. They also talk about receiving the spirit. And if so, what did they say? Well, if they give the Holy Spirit to one another, it's, uh, of course, they receive it. I mean, no, I mean, the only author, because Augustine doesn't speak of, uh, you won't find in Augustine uh, the idea that the Holy Spirit is the mutual gift of the Son, of the Father and Son, in the sense that the, the, the Father gives the Holy Spirit to the Son, who receives the Holy Spirit and uh, reciprocally. So, uh, it, this could be an interpretation of Augustine, but it is not found literally in Augustine. Uh, contemporary uh, commentators of Augustine sometimes uh, make this interpretation, but it's, uh, I mean, it's a free interpretation. Uh, now, the only order <coughs> in which uh, this is, is clear uh, is uh, William of Auvergne became Bishop of Paris, by the way. Um, because William of Auvergne explains that um, uh, the Holy Spirit is gift, first of all, uh, before explaining that he is love, he is gift. And he is the gift that the Father makes to the Son, and that the Son makes to the Father. He doesn't write in return. So there is no return. It's uh, I mean, Rich, um, William O'Brien doesn't give more explanations. But if the Father gives the Holy Spirit to the Son, then the Son receives the Holy Spirit. And if the Son gives the Holy Spirit to the Father, then the Father receives the Holy Spirit. Because for him, gift, for William, for, for William, gift, uh, the gift is uh, does not only. I mean, the gift implies two relationships. I mean, the giver and the receiver, and for uh, William, the giver and the receiver are divine persons, so that the Father and Son receive the Holy Spirit. But he doesn't say more than that. Neither does uh, Alva the Great. He just states uh, that the Holy Spirit is the mutual gift, but he doesn't go further. So it's just a few a few sentences here and there. It's not developed. But I was very intrigued by that because uh, I thought that, um, that the, the idea 
of the Holy Spirit being the mutual gift of the Father and the Son, when the gift the Father makes to the Son and reciprocally, was a 20th century idea. And in fact, it's not. It's uh, an early 13th century idea. This is all I want you to say. <laughs> I mean, you know, sometimes you read texts days, 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 and you find just the sentence that becomes very interesting after seven days of reading. There's <laughs> <laughs> one back here. I was wondering, um, you spoke about the aspect of the Holy Spirit as a gratuitous love. Um, you spoke about him as the highest, giving the, the highest liberality, and just also as a gift. How does one reconcile these, uh, this idea of the Holy Spirit as, as given liberally and freely with the, the fact that the Holy Spirit proceeds by the necessity of nature? Because um, something given by necessity and by nature seems not to be free, um, as far as God can't help but give, the Father can't help but give the Spirit to the Son, um, and vice, vice versa. Mm -hmm. So how, how is it truly free? I guess, how is it truly liberal, even a gift, given that necessity of nature? Well, because, uh, I mean, the two statements, the two statements, uh, necessity and uh, freedom, liberality, are not found uh, on the same level. Necessity uh, qualifies, or uh, necessity qualifies, I mean, the, the very nature of the so-called national acts, the generation of the sun and um, the uh, inspiration of uh, the Holy Spirit. So that uh, the, the nature is, uh, the, is the principle of the national acts. I mean, God the Father uh, engendered or begot his son by nature uh, from his substance. And so did he, so did the Father of the Son uh, spirit, the Holy Spirit. The principle is nature. Then, intellect and love, or liberality, in the case of uh, the Holy Spirit, um, Real, uh, refers to the mode, the distinct mode of procession on another level, not as the principle of the act, but as the mode of the act. So, uh, and this is very common, uh, the, the same act, the national act of generation and inspiration, can be necessary, as God is necessary, as the train God is necessary, and within this necessity, I mean, the procession take, can take place by mode of love, by free love, by mode of free love and liberality. Both statements are not on the same level. In one case, you name the principle of the act. In the other case, you name the mode of the act. It's, well, it's a little more, uh, Aquinas is Explanations are a little more complicated than that, but um, it's the I mean, it's the core of what he taught. The, the the most developed explanation, if you want to to look at it, is not found in the Summa, but in the well, it's found in the Summa. <coughs> it's, uh, 
the longest uh, discussion is found in the Depotentia. Thank you. Briefly, I was wondering if um, you see any any kind of reliance on the filioque behind these discussions and whether uh, the way that the theologian might have been viewing the filioque um, plays into how they think about the spirit being given to creation or even between father and son. Sure. And um, and the not the filioque because the filioque I would say the doctrine of the Holy Spirit proceeding from the Father and Son because filioque refers to the addition to the creed. So let's say the doctrine of the Holy Spirit proceeding from Father and Son is found uh, at the heart of all these explanations, starting from Augustine, or better, starting from Saint Ambrose. Uh, whom Augustine quoted on, on this topic. Uh, among the authors uh, I discussed this afternoon, the one for whom the uh, doctrine of the Holy Spirit proceeding from the Father and Son is most central is Richard of St. Victor. Because it's in him. I mean, Richard of St. Victor absolutely needs uh, the Holy Spirit proceeding from the Father and Son in order to explain that there is one giving only, one receiving only, and one giving and receiving. I mean, his entire uh, account, I mean, the entire account of the Trinity by Richard of St. Victor rests on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit proceeding from the Father and the Son. So in him, it's very central. In other authors, it's also central, but uh, not at the forefront, let's say. But still, it's, it's central. Well, this is the Augustinian or uh, Ambrosian, or it's the Latin heritage of uh, Latin scholasticism. I think we'll take one last question. Thank you very much. My question is about Peter Lombard and his view, which Aquinas explicitly uh, rejects when he talks about the virtue of charity. So Lombard holds that charity is the Holy Spirit uh, in us. So when we have an, uh, the virtue of charity, it's... Uh, and, and Aquinas very explicitly rejects this. From your perspective, is this a mistake in Lombard just with respect to how the Holy Spirit can be received or, or in fact not understanding how the Holy Spirit can be received in the creature? Uh, or is it, does it also touch Lombard's view of the Holy Spirit uh, in himself? And how is this related to what you were discussing about uh, gift, givable, given? Mm -hmm. So, first of all, not only Aquinas, but all authors reject, I mean, all authors have discussed this. Bonaventure, for instance, uh, rejects Peter Lombard's view very strongly, and he lists uh, this view uh, by Peter Lombard uh, among uh, the, the doctrines that are not uh, <coughs> held by theologians in Paris in the 1250s period. Well, but I, I would uh, come, 
power, I'm not going to defend Peter uh, Lambert, uh, but he wasn't as naive as uh, readers generally suspect. If you read, uh, I mean, distinction, distinction 17, I mean, the commentary, uh, I mean, the sentences, distinction 17, where um, Peter Lambert explains that the Holy Spirit is, uh, that charity is the Holy Spirit in person. Uh, Peter Lambert doesn't deny that uh, love or charity is also something creative. But he insists uh, that uh, charity is ultimately the Holy Spirit in person. And that uh, we cannot be saved except by uh, an uncreated reality. So, in order to, to divinize us, we need uh, a divine principle. And this divine principle is the Holy Spirit. As a response, I would uh, recommend uh, going back to Aquinas' commentary on Romans 5.5. 5. Uh, I'm translating from, from the French. Uh, in Romans 5.5, 5, uh, St. Paul <coughs> speaks of the Holy Spirit that God, meaning God the Father, has poured out in our souls. Uh, the charity of God has been poured out in our souls by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. All right? Yes. Mm -hmm. So, and Aquinas says that in this text, charity, the charity of God has been poured out in our souls. Charity of God can be understood in two ways. First, the charity by which God loves us. And in, the, in this case, the charity means the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit in person has been given, so that the, the charity of God is the Holy Spirit. And the second explanation is the charity by which we love God. And in the second sense, it's a created habit. I mean, supernatural created habit. So, um, and in his country sentences, uh, Aquinas explains, and in the Summa as well, that uh, the created gift of grace and the created gifts of sanctifying knowledge of God and of charity, well, created gifts of grace are a disposition that makes us able to receive the uncreated gift in person. If we were not to receive the uncreated gift, we would not be saved. We would not be saved. So, Aquinas maintains both the indispensable role of created gifts, such as habitual grace and charity, I mean, theological virtues, gift of the Holy Spirit. He maintains the necessity of, of created gifts um, in order to uh, elevate uh, our being, in order to make us able to receive the uncreated gift. And in his sentence commentary, in the famous article, it's in book one, distinction 14, Aquinas explains that uh, he asks, you know, and you know this passage well, uh, what comes first, the created gift of charity or the uncreated gift with the Holy Spirit? Because we receive both. I mean, we receive 
in salvation, or in the Eucharist, or in baptism, or in confirmation. I mean, we receive the uncreated gift with the Holy Spirit, and the creative gift, that is charity. What gift comes first? And here, Aquinas uh, gives this answer. I mean, from our standpoint, from the standpoint of the receiver uh, that I am, the creative gift comes first. It's the priority of a disposition. But from the standpoint of the cause and end, and we have exemplar of grace, uh, priority belongs to the Holy Spirit. And Aquinas ends his explanation by stating very clearly, and this priority of the Holy Spirit himself as the uncreated gift in person is absolute. So, uh, I mean, Peter Lambert was not a fool. I mean, he required his, I mean, his explanations required some uh, refinements, but um, I mean, it's so important. And Aquinas, I mean, the genius of Aquinas is not to reject uh, uh, simply this view, but the genius of Aquinas is to, uh, was to integrate this view in an ordered explanation, an explanation that accounts for the necessity of created gifts and for the real donation of the uncreated gift. 